in the state of our world, I'm, I'm trying to phrase my words very <laughs> specifically, in the state of like, you know, the world, I don't know I'm, if life is a gift. And mm. I don't know if we can put someone on this planet without consent. Um, because life is a big thing to consent to. And I know this is like a very interesting thing to talk about because you can't get consent for birthing a person. Welcome to Humans of Harvard podcast. I'm David Chen. I just want to start off by saying thank you. If you're listening right now, that probably means that you heard our first episode with Alex and deemed us worthy to your ear for a second time. For that, I'm grateful. I am honored and excited. We got a great show and a great series planned out for you. You know, when I first heard about Humans of Harvard College as an organization, and when I heard about their motto, everyone has a story, I knew there had to be a podcast for it. The great thing about being at Harvard and being around amazing people is that there is always a surplus of stories to go around. And that's what the show is about, to bring to light the stories of the humans at Harvard. But also, and full disclaimer here, even though I've been personally podcasting for a while now, it does not excuse me from trying new things. So with that in mind, I am experimenting with a new structure for this show. I have asked my guests to pick three questions in advance of varying degrees of intimacy, of intrusiveness even. Throughout the episode, I will ask the guests these questions and chase whatever rabbits come from that. The thought behind it was to give direction to the conversation, direction that may otherwise would have never been found without these questions. But anyways, speaking of our guest, today we are blessed with, and I'm wary of using this word in case I wear it out, but this truly warrants it. Today we are blessed with a fascinating person. She's a first year from Nebraska, currently living in Elliott House. She also has taken a gap year, and a fat gap at that, nearly 600 days. She's a signed actor, a staunch antinatalist, more on that soon, and of course, a joy to talk with. Everyone, enjoy my conversation with our guest, Ina Bupalam. And we're live. So I must admit, and before I get fangirly all over here, you know, it's it's been a long time coming, hasn't it, for this podcast? Yes, it has. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I'm 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 just really floored by because when we first met, or not when we first met, but um when we were talking over at the business school, you asked a very interesting question that I've never been asked really by anyone that you know I've just met, which was like what are your first impressions of me? Like you asked that, right? When we were sitting in, sitting in the pavilion and I was just absolutely like, whoa, that is, A, that's a brilliant question to ask like early on. And B, I just felt like it, it really jumpstarts or it really like bypasses all the formalities of friendship and really like just connects you. So is that a practice that you do to ask people like, what are your first impressions of me? Or like, what do you think of me early on when you meet someone? I wouldn't say it's a practice in the sense that like I have a checklist and I'm like, okay, this is the first thing that I'm going to ask. But I have seen myself ask that question when I find like potential in a person for a friendship um, Mm. or like a strong friendship. And and if I feel a little tension in the sense that like there's they're struggling to open up. Because I'm very like, I say whatever's on my mind. I have no filter. Everything just comes out. But (laughs) I know not everyone is like that. And usually what I find is asking that question really forces uh, people, if you're like honest about it, and like if you create an environment that allows someone to be honest about that question, then like you said, it bypasses a lot of boundaries and it gets you to a more vulnerable space. Um, which is why I like to ask it. And I think like it also takes away all these barriers that you have in terms of what you think about a person. Because like my first impression of you is not what my impression of you is now. (laughs) And I think that's partly because I asked that question. And Mm -hmm. now I I know a lot more about you and you're a lot more open and more um, like vulnerable with me, which is really nice. Yeah, I mean... 
that just makes the perfect podcast guest, right? To be able to have no, no really barrier and to share. And I guess this isn't your first rodeo, technically, right? You've been on other podcasts before. Yes, I have been on a couple. <laughs> yeah, and and for those, I mean, you know, as as you know, as talented and successful as you are, I'm sure they mainly focused on your achievements, right? They mainly focused on whether it was your nonprofits or stuff like that. I mean, were they all kind of the same in terms of like focusing and asking questions about what you did? Yes and no. I mean, I think that's a hard thing to, like, I think even in this podcast, we'll have a hard time exclusively talking about things that aren't related to the things I've done because the things I've done are who I am. Are they part of who I am? Like, I don't do things that I feel like aren't part of who I am or driven by something that I'm passionate about um or I feel strongly about um and so yeah like a a lot of them were focused in terms of like okay we're going to talk about arts so that was mainly focused on my acting or we're going to talk about uh social justice so they were very niche podcasts but that I wouldn't say that doesn't mean I didn't wasn't able to talk about other things yeah for sure I mean the only reason why I brought that up is because well I don't want to put myself in contrast with other podcasts well I guess that makes sense because no podcast is really like each other but for me I don't know I've always found it interesting to like almost separate someone from exactly their their actions I don't even know how to describe it but you know it seems as though sometimes we put on we put on a costume right we put on a mm-hmm. um something that is like clothes right like we would put on clothes like a normal <laughs> civilized human being but at the same time though it, it does provide an extra layer that that shields the tr- true true person. Yeah. I think deep. Con- I mean, we're recording this at twelve thirty a.m., which to me, by the way, like I really like this. I really like. I mean, I've said it before on the podcast: the later it is, or in this case, the earlier it is, uh, the less, the the more inhibitions just melt away, and we get to talk about um about whatever. So so yeah, I'm, I'm- excited about like the timing of this because <laughs> it's just like. This time, like on a Friday night after I've had like a long week, lots of things have happened, happened. like this is a good chance for me to reflect, um, you know, take some time. Like I just had a shower. I have lavender around me. Like I feel good. This is going to be a good podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you caught this me as well and this podcast in a very uh, fruitful time because I'm also in, in many ways experimenting myself. Um, for the longest time, I've been podcasting for really the sake of just talking, right? And mm-hmm. I would come in with very little idea of what is going to happen in the podcast. Yeah. But alas, change is inevitable. And I wanted to try something new. And specifically, I wanted to um, kind of structure this podcast with three questions, right? Three questions that you okay. picked out, three <laughs> questions that you picked out beforehand. And essentially, like, we'll start off with that these questions and they progressively become more and more intimate and more and more... Um, not revealing, but rather just a little bit more, just hits closer to your soul, your heart, whatever you want to describe it as. And I think it follows a natural progression of a conversation, right? That the more we talk, the, the more comfortable we get. Our first question to ask Ina is simply, do you like being surprised? Now at face value, this may seem like an easy question. The way I phrase it, A surprise sounds like a surprise birthday party or a surprise trip to the Siberian taiga. Mild, exciting, and fun. But this question is laced with existentialism because surprises could also mean a surprise change of heart when you realize you don't want to pursue something you thought was your passion. So surprises can carry heavy weight, but ultimately it is up to you how you'd interpret what a surprise means. Nevertheless, let's hear Ina's answer. I do. Um, and I think that's, I, I, I actually, you know, what? I hesitate to answer this with a, like a yes or no, because I guess it obviously depends on what the surprise is. But I have realized this trend over like the past couple years of my life, looking back and reflecting. Um, and the best things that have ever happened to me have been things that I haven't expected and that have been surprises. Um, the how I predicted my life to be like three years ago is nothing like it is now. And that's a good thing. Um, and so, yeah, I, I do love surprises in the sense that I really like 
to explore different things. I like when uh, challenges come my way and I'm able to find different ways to, you know, uh, solve those challenges. And so, yeah, I think like, yeah, I definitely, I, I think I do like surprises. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I love that when you say that three years ago, you wouldn't see your life as it is today. I mean, you took a gap year, I mean, a, a pretty extended gap year which yeah. i'm sure was one filled year with 10 months <laughs> yeah one year and 10 months i mean um, two gap years i would call it at this point <laughs> right right yeah honestly but i mean in many ways i i agree with you by the way some of the best things i mean i guess that's kind of how surprises go right you mm -hmm. if you if you predict it how could you possibly consider it exciting or you know the best moments in your life um you know, it's interesting that you say that because one of the things that I've been noticing recently is that the things that happen that I dream about aren't as exciting as the things that happen that I haven't dreamt about. And that is really scary in the sense that I dream a lot about a lot of different things. I like to think um, I dream very big and very bold and like unapologetically. But when I dream about something and it's like big and bold and then that thing happens, I've already lived it in my dreams and I've already had, you know, like my, my, my heart has like, you know, started beating fast. Like I've had like all the bodily like things that happen when you could think about an exciting thing happening. And so when it actually happens, my body has already gone through it. So it doesn't feel <laughs> like it's new. And so that's, I think a large part of why I like surprises because these surprises are something that my mind has not been able to uh, think about or imagine. Right. That the the moment you said that, I thought about the Harvard acceptance, right? The universal experience of every student here. And I remember because like there was a moment of a long period that I really thought that this was not going to happen. And then like I after I interviewed with my um admissions officer, you know, he he gave me a pretty good vibe. And I was like, wow. What if in the faraway land that this was possible? And I remember like some nights I would like dream of opening that letter or opening the virtual letter and getting that congratulations. Um, I actually searched up what it looks like, oh, <laughs> what a congratulation no. letter looks like. And I imagine. Um, and yeah, I agree. Like, yeah, you go through the same, you know, irregular heartbeat and sweating, palm sweating. And when it actually happened, not going to lie, I did not react that much. Um, I don't know about you. That I, I'm, that's not a universal way to do it, by the way. I, you should react when you get the news. But um, yeah, yeah, I agree. It's almost as if somehow the dream itself diluted the experience of getting that dream, which ah, is kind of unfortunate. But we actually learned about this in the psych class that I just um, started taking, and uh, well, not like this specifically, but we learned about how thinking about um, like happy moments um they don't have to have happen they can be things that like you want to happen they have the same effect as the actual moments happening in real life so like one of the strategies they said like when you're like feeling isolated or like like during these times is to think about like things that could be happening not in the sense of like oh like i wish i could be there but in the sense that like actually pretend in your mind that's you're hap that that's happening and you will go through the same emotions and so that kind of, I think, like connects to this because like we are thinking about these things that we want to happen. And then when we get to that thing, it's already happened and because our body thinks it's happened. I guess another side of this, though, and, and this is where my hesitation is with this question as well. If I were to answer it in some ways, do I like being surprised? You know, uncertainty is a very scary thought, especially at a place like Harvard and especially as an 18 year old, 19 year old who has every prospect of a career in front of them. And for me, uncertainty is scary because, you know, there's always that question of what concentration do you want? And then further out, what kind of career do you want? And where do you see that in 10 years? And what kind of person do you want to be? And I mean, it would be great to know those answers or it might not be. I don't know. Actually, <laughs> knowing those answers may, may indeed be bad. But I mean, it's just the fact that looking ahead in, ahead in my time, and not knowing where that where it's going, it is a bit scary. I mean, for you, do you fear the unknown or something something like that um, f for your life as well? I think it's natural to. 
Um, but another okay. thing that we have also learned in my psych class <laughs> is that I'll probably bring this up a lot because it has changed the way I think right. like, so fast. And I've just been in for a week and a half. But we learned that everything is uncertain. It sounds so simple, but it's true. Every mm. single thing is uncertain. We think that just because we're in a pandemic, um, things are uncertain. But things were uncertain a year ago when we didn't know this pandemic was going to happen. The future was uncertain. I don't know if I'm going to die in five minutes. You don't know if something's going to fall on your head in five minutes. We, we had this conversation. Right. Um, yeah. And so like everything is uncertain. And if you spend your entire life worrying about the uncertain, then you waste all the time that you have because you're just always worrying about it. Like you, the two like components of, I guess, like, stress right or like number one is that it's the idea that something's going to happen and the second thing is that something's going to be bad so if you're always thinking about like this uncertainty uncertainty has this negative connotation in the sense that like yeah something uncertain is going to happen and that something uncertain is going to be bad and so it is natural to worry about it but i don't think it's something that we have to do I love that you bring that up that why treat uncertainty as a bad thing, you know? And I think, I think the pursuit to like resolve those uncertainties is what's wrong with is well, it's wrong. Right. And I heard this really cool quote by, by this um, upperclassman a few weeks ago, which was, you know, at Harvard, the best approach you can, you can have is to, instead of seeking answers is to live the question. And I, I, I get it. It's like kind of that, that cliche wording. But I mean, if you really break it down, I feel it. I feel it works so well, you know, especially as a formative, formative um, young adult. I think living the question yields much more surprising results, but also truer results. Right. And seeking answers is it's like when you lose something, right, you lose like your keys or whatever. And you, when you actively seek them, you almost never find them. But like at the randomest moments, when you're like chilling in your house and then you just find them. It's right in front of you, right in front of you all the yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. And not to go get too poetic here, but I think, you know, we had this conversation before when, when, when we were talking about the idea of gaining skill at Harvard versus learning, whichever, whatever that really means. Um, you know, I, I've, I've come to the conclusion really that if you graduate Harvard with, more answers and questions i think you did it wrong <laughs> i think you did harvard wrong i like that you said that <laughs> yeah i mean for your classes do you think you've gotten more answers from them or more questions raised questions hands down Easy. i have so many things that i want to learn now i have so many things that i feel like in so many ways everything makes more sense Sense, but because it makes more sense it makes less sense <laughs> and right. the sense that, like I've learned all these things that I didn't even know were a thing and now I want to learn about these things and I'm like wait this connects to this thing mm -hmm. and so yeah I feel like I've learned a lot but I've not per se answered the questions to what I have wanted to learn about in the sense that like in our expository um, writing class, for example, right? Like we're learning so much about prisons and yeah, we're like answering analytical questions and everything. But as I write all of my essays and as I write all of my analyses, I have so many more questions. And by the time I'm done writing the essay, even though like my argument hopefully makes sense, <laughs> I, I don't think like, I still don't know the answer. I, I, I don't know and have instead 15 more questions that I want to know how to answer. Right. It's like a Hydra, you know, like cut off one answer, two questions take its place. Yes, uh, exactly. Yeah. And I, I think that's something great, you know. Um, I, I think for my classes as well, it's, you know, th there's another cool quote here that I'm going to shamelessly plug. It's that learning is a progressive discovery of your own ignorance. and I, I find that to be particularly true for some of my classes where, you know, as you learn more, it's like staring out in the ocean, right? Or staring down into the ocean where mm -hmm. you begin to see just how minuscule you are with comparing to the scale of what's out there. Um, and especially like an institution here, right? Where I've gone to meet people like you, right? Where, 
you've opened my eyes in a variety of things. Easy example, straightforward one that have changed my life personally that I have to thank you for. It's just going outside to study. Like I remember when we first started talking, I was like, yeah, I'm like holed up in my dorm. And this was really true. Like I would not leave maybe for an hour maximum. Right. And I told you I was in my dorm for an hour maximum. Right. Yeah. You were the opposite. And I was like, man, I should really take that into consideration. And I did. And, and it really did turn my academic life, which wasn't spiraling out of control, but it was more like a, like a limp plane going downwards. And it really kind of revived it. So fresh um, air makes you happy. It yes. True. <laughs> yeah. And, and just a change of scenery, right? Like you build up like toxicity, I suppose, with stress in one place and you gotta, you gotta, you know, you gotta let it out a little bit. You gotta disperse it. So for that, I've, I have a lot to thank you as well, but, you know, getting back to the idea of, of just expanding your, your understanding of how little you understand. Yeah. I mean, I think now is a, is a perfect time to maybe try and ask a second question, one in which I actually made with specifically you in mind. I feel targeted, David. I, I, yes, you were targeted for this one. And <laughs> I guess for some context here, I do want to say this like to, for the record here. The first words you've ever spoken to me. In person. First, <laughs> in person. In person. In per- yes, in person was, do you want to join my anti-natalist club? No, 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 sorry. sorry. Do you want to join my anti-natalist society? Don't call it a club. You're undermining it. Exactly, exactly. It's a society. It's it's sophisticated as it it truly is. But not beating around the bush here. It will, though. (laughs) It will, it will. The second question is also straightforward. Do you want to have children? For me, that question has an accompanying, straightforward answer, yeah. I mean, it's hard to ignore a fundamental biological impulse that's literally coded in our DNA. But we are advanced animals, capable of cognizing morality and whatnot. And Ina's answer does just that. Choosing to have children shouldn't just be a personal question, but perhaps a societal one. Let's hear what she has to say thinking about people who are listening to this probably think that I'm going to answer no just because you just mentioned antinatalism uh-huh. but the answer is yes definitely I want to have children but I don't want to have Whoa. biological children yes there's the curveball I'm going to repeat that I do not want to have biological children yes and there are multiple reasons for that um many of which I will be the first person to say that they are probably viewed as radical um mm-hmm but I still have those <laughs> those opinions. Um, but I want to foster and adopt kids. That's something that I have wanted to do for a while now. Um, I absolutely adore children. I, I think I've learned the most in my entire life from children because they view the world in the way it should be viewed. Mm. I, I think we are taught growing up to look at the world in a way that we put barriers on our creativity we say like oh that's not possible kids don't think that kids don't think anything is not possible um and i think that's a really beautiful thing and you can learn so much from kids and i really want to play a part in making you know a kid's life better um but i guess like the reason that i don't want to have biological kids is uh number one a large reason is because i feel like climate change is a big issue. I don't feel like I know that climate change is a big issue. And there's a huge issue with overpopulation. And there are so many kids without proper uh, support systems in the world. And I want to be able to provide, hopefully, uh, you know, make a kid's life better who's already on this earth. Like there's no reason to put another one on here, um, this, this planet. But like the second reason is that I just, and this is probably the hot take of the, of the podcast, but <laughs> in the state of our world, I'm, I'm trying to phrase my words very <laughs> specifically, in the state of like, you know, the world, I don't know I'm, if life is a gift. And mm. I don't know if we can put someone on this planet without consent. Um because life is a big thing to consent to. And I know this is like a very interesting thing to talk about because 
you can't get consent for birthing a person. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just, I think about it and I'm like, if I have a biological child and they hate their life and they hate that the world is dying and that they can't go outside and they can't have fresh air and, you know, like, why did I have to give them that life? And I know you can like make the argument that there are multiple kids in the world that are already going to go through that because people are just going to have kids. But like, yeah, that's true. But at least I can make it the life better for a kid that's already going to experience all of that stuff. And I know that seems like a very pessimistic view. But honestly, I think, you know, like, with everything that's going on, just maximize the amount of like happiness you can have for the people that are already on the earth. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I just I guess I could never feel morally okay having a biological kid, I would not be able to live I I mean, I would like to say to start off that it it may seem some people's knee jerk reaction to antinatalism is like, oh, well, you don't like children. And as you have seen, as you have shown, that's not true. And I think the way you've painted this reasoning for for antinatalism, I think is like the purest form of compassion, because you literally have no personal stakehold in this decision. You know, this is this is all for the people around you, which I think in many situations it's really hard to find these kind of decisions that are truly, truly altruistic, right? And I don't want to go too too like controversial here, but I it's I think it's actually hard to find truly altruistic action, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really difficult um, because you could argue you could always argue that the person who's doing it is also doing it for their own happiness, which is yeah. perfectly fine. See, right. you could argue that for this too. Like, I would not feel morally okay if I had a kid. So I'm doing it so that I can feel morally okay, right? That's like, true. You, can, that's you true. can argue that for everything. but That's true. Yeah. But I mean, it, it is, I think, to me, from just my limited experience of hearing these kinds of kind of things, it is the closest I have personally understood it to be the closest to a truly altruistic move, which speaks, I think, a lot to who who you are, even in the brief times that I've known you, right? Someone who is very keenly aware of their surroundings. And again, like that question that you asked, you know, like first impressions, right? Like, I don't, and, you know, to, to put words into your personality, I feel like you, you it's really easy for you to make friends. Um, but you did mention to me at one point that you weren't always like this or this, whatever this, this, quote unquote, yeah. this means, but I mean, everyone goes through a transformation and I feel like I'm compelled to ask you when and how. Okay. Another big <laughs> question. Yeah. This doesn't count for one of our questions, okay, but I okay, do want to okay. ask you this. Yeah. So I strongly believe that I, there's never been a moment in my life that was like, an aha moment or a turning point because I feel like there's always a bunch of little things mm. that add up to these turning points. And it's when all those things add up that we think we had this aha moment and we associate it with something that has just happened close to that aha moment when it's actually the work of multiple interactions with different people, the work of you failing multiple times, the work of so many different things. And I think me becoming, you know, like who I am right now and is even just like different from who I was yesterday or like five days ago. Like I always am trying to learn and grow and, you know, become a better um, person and, you know, become more aware of the things around me and becoming more aware of my ignorance, um, like we just talked about. But I think just going back a little bit, So I grew up in Nebraska, which is a predominantly white community. Um, I didn't have very many people, you know, that I was surrounded with that, first of all, looked like me, but second of all, had the same cultural values as me and the same types of experiences that I did. Um, And so I had a, a lot of, you know, different, you know, like grapplings with different parts of my identity that I really wasn't able to figure out. And it's those experiences of me being, you know, harassed and, you know, bullied a lot because of the, how I looked and my, uh, you know, being a girl and activities that predominantly men were in, you know, like things like that, 
uh, all of those comments that were made to me, all of those things added up to me realizing my value and like realizing, uh, you know, what I can bring to this world. But I think the biggest thing that really has changed from, you know, me a couple years ago to me now is honestly just my level of confidence. And I know that sounds so like cliche <laughs> and, but it's such an important thing because we, me having no filter, me making it being, it's being making like, it's easy for me to make friends. Like you said, because I am, you know, confident. And I think people tend to come, you know, towards people that are confident. And I think the reason that I struggled, I wouldn't actually, I wouldn't say struggled with making friends, but the reason that I struggled to make strong relationships with people is because I don't think you can make strong relationships with people until, or like, you know, you can love someone else as a friend or however, until you truly love yourself. And I think that's a very, um, you know, difficult thing to come to terms with because no one fully loves themselves at like 100% of all the time in their life. Um, but it's about trying to get there. Mm. And I think that's really what has changed over the past couple of years is that I have learned um, through these different things that I am, you know, like worthy, I am valuable, I have I know that my voice matters and just having that level of confidence and being unapologetically open about my dreams and unapologetically just myself as cliche as that sounds is what has allowed me to come to Harvard with an open mind to different people has allowed me to ask you the questions that I had I don't think I would have gone up to like people even like two weeks before I came to Harvard and said, would you like to join the anti-natalist society? Um, that's a very odd way to start a conversation, but it led to a beautiful friendship. So here we are. Um, yeah, it worked. That's the yeah, thing. It worked. So, yeah, I guess like it just comes to having no filter and just saying what you want, obviously like thinking about how your words affect other people for sure. Always. Yes. But having no filter correlates or like it's directly related to confidence. Yeah. Turning points are overrated. Right. I, I agree. Turning points. I, I feel like there, I'm sorry. There may be situations truly for some people that there have been these singular mm -hmm. singularities in their life that have been turning points, but I agree. Like, I can't pinpoint a time when I became really invested in intimate dialogue, right? I would, I would actually classify myself similar in your situation where I was scared to form strong relationships. I, I graduated high school without being able to really call anyone a truly, like, good, close friend, right? And I, I, you know, I, there's many metrics to define what mm -hmm. kind of person that is. But, you know, I didn't really have one, anyone who I can you know, call in the middle of the night and be able to talk, right? Or mm -hmm. someone who I could guarantee if I asked them to hang out, they'd, they'd be willing to. And it's it's all on me. It's not because of the people who I've surrounded myself with. It's because of my own inhibitions to commit to something that I was scared to commit to, which was as simple as it was. It's just the friendship, right? And, you know, looking back, I don't exactly know why, right? Mm -hmm. Perhaps it's, Perhaps it's my, I don't even know. And it's hard to self-diagnose these things. But I, what I can tell you is that when I started podcasting and when I started really embracing intimate dialogue, I became more cognizant of what it meant to be able to talk to someone truly, which hopefully at least I think what we're, I think is what we're doing even now, mm -hmm. right? Is, is, you know, is for me to be able to share my own flaws um, and you to be able to share yours. Um, and, and our own successes. And I think this is where, this is where, I think this is where society should be. Like, you know, I've, this kind of, okay, this is ironic because the first thing I, I said to you when we first got on the Zoom was, how's it going? But have you ever found it interesting how like we, we come up to people and say like, how's it going? Oh, it's great. How about you? Oh, it's great. The end. That's, that's yeah. the interaction, right? Like ultimately when you come out of that, you think like, really, did I, did I learn anything new or did I really advance my 
my yeah. my relationship with this person and it no not really but um you know i think it's these kinds of i mean like imagine if you were able to ask someone like just a loose acquaintance like how's it going and they're able to tell you their their insecurities for that day and <laughs> their, their 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 difficulties that they're having and their emotional um turmoil Drama, everything right right i mean i don't know i don't know if this is like a society thing i don't know if this is just evolution but i don't you know there's a reason why we start off so closed right but you were able to and again speaking from previous meetups you were able to break that barrier down quickly like even faster than something like on a podcast on a podcast barriers break down quickly as well but i mean you just freaking shattered them right like glass glass ceiling style just boom but um i appreciate you saying that because um i, I wouldn't say it like i would if you ask any of my close friends or just anyone that i've like like interacted with i think they would all say similar things because I have come from a very similar place to you in the sense that I left high school without having like very close friends that I was able to talk to at like any time of the day and talk about, you know, very vulnerable things and share like insecurities with. And I think part of that has made me, you know, able to like find ways to hold spaces for other people to discuss these things because I think a lot of it is yes on ourselves to discuss these things but like it's also our job to hold the space to listen and that's really what I try to do because it's not like always you know there's this saying that like not like a saying but you know how people say like I help women find their voice <laughs> women have a voice yes. women have a voice um it just like it was like Meghan Markle. I list, I really love Meghan Markle. She said this um, thing. She's like, women have a voice. Uh, they're just not empowered to use it, and people aren't empowered to listen to it. Mm-hmm. And I think those are two really different and important components. I can feel empowered to talk about all these things, but if you're not empowered and know the value of my voice, and you hold space for me to talk about these things, then ultimately I'll be talking to a wall, mm. right? And so I guess like with my friendships and everything from now on, that's something that I really try to do is just to hold space that's like comfortable and where it's okay to talk about these different things. And uh, one thing that I do is like, every time I meet a new person, I try to have this conversation with them that is vulnerable, even if it's five minutes, because I feel like with those things is where you can find potential for bigger friendships and you can learn so much yeah man look at us both vulnerable both it both giving space and 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 all that and um i i agree and i would actually say as well that you know like that megan markle quote you know empowering other people to to the voice i i think it's also in another degree like people are speaking right people mm-hmm. are are expressing their voice but the problem is i think too often they're being drowned out mm-hmm right they're they're being their their voice is being overpowered by this cacophony of chaos um whether it's on social media well actually sorry almost exclusively on social media but it's it seems as though people have forgotten what it's like to listen versus mm-hmm. to speak their own mind and and in our expos class as well i really like how our professor has stated it where it's like you know you want to respond to other people instead of just wait your turn to speak yeah right cuz in in that sense all you're really doing is like it's like dropping dropping pebbles everywhere in a, in a in a pond, right? All these ripples kind of just clash and cancel out each other and just mm-hmm. end up as weird chaotic yeah. ripple, right? Instead, you want to take one one stone and 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 really magnify one ripple. So, I absolutely agree and I think in this moment of vulnerability for the both of us, I think it's the perfect time for us to come full circle and arrive at our third and final and perhaps most vulnerable question where we have, as you have picked, for I me to ask you. Picked, so this is oh, okay. Well, <laughs> as you said, we love surprises here. The question that you chose for category three, the oh final third question. This is the question that you. No, okay, I'm okay, sorry. No, okay. okay, that's enough. <laughs> I just get to it. I don't like surprises. <laughs> End of the line. The third and final question I ask Ina is. One that has been echoed by a lot of people from Disney characters to motivational speakers to myself constantly. The question is, when was a moment you followed your heart? 
Now, despite its overuse, it remains such a powerful question because it evokes, in my opinion, the most powerful element of humanity, passion. Let's hear about Ina's moment. Um, I actually didn't have a moment in mind when I picked this question, but I want it to be something that I thought about. Yeah, um, absolutely. But I think a moment where I've authentically followed my heart, I think there's a lot of moments in my life where I think I have, but now thinking back on it, I actually mm. hadn't. And they were because other people were pushing me to do certain things. Yes. Um, one moment that I truly, truly think that I really followed my heart and I will never regret this. And I think it's completely changed my life. And it's really, that's one of the moments making the decisions for me that that decision for myself is what has made me able to come to Harvard with this level of confidence. But as soon as I got into Harvard, I got in early um, my senior year and I graduated like as soon as I got in. Um, and I had always dreamt about acting, always, always wanted to be an actress, but never really vocalized it um, for multiple reasons, which I will get into. But I think like, well, you know, when I was like little and I used to watch Disney Channel, all those things, like I would be that kid that would memorize all the lines and say it. I was obsessed with like Selena Gomez. I knew all of her lines to the Wizards of Waverly Place. Like I used to watch auditions on YouTube. I used to try to figure out how to audition for TV shows and everything. And I just was so, you know, enamored by like the acting world. And I think like when I say that, it sounds like, oh, like I want clout or whatever. But I was enamored by it because I just was so, the craft was so, such a, you, I, I, weird and beautiful thing to anything that I had ever really experienced and that's I had talked to my parents a little bit about it but um you know when I was little but I do have like parents who like are very very well intentioned always have supported my dreams and they do support like me chasing this acting dream now but uh they I guess this acting is not really something that's common to any family and like most families, um, right. American families or anything, but like, you know, an immigrant, a, a South Asian family, it's really not common <laughs> no. um, for like and anywhere, even with like, even if a South Asian family in India, no matter how big Bollywood is, it's not common for a kid to be like, I want to be, you know, a Bollywood actress or Hollywood actress or whatever that is. And so my parents kind of just thought it was like a phase blah 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 like you know like they were like laughed about it, like oh yeah you'll be on the tv one day like and when people say those things to me i take those things very seriously when someone says like you can be president one day i think yeah i can be president one day <laughs> and i don't think people like lots of people take those things seriously but i actually like internalize them and you know when i got older and i got into harvard i was like you know what I've done this thing. I have done this thing that my parents have wanted me to do. And I also wanted, like, I wouldn't say like it was my goal to ever really get into Harvard. Um, I've done this thing that would make them feel a little more secure about my life. It's time to vocalize and actually follow what I want to do. And so I did. I It was not like a decision that like I made over like months and I was like, this is how I'm going to say it. I just did it. I sat down with my parents. I brought, I remember exactly where I did this. And I said, I'm taking a gap year and I want to act. And they were like, what the hell? <laughs> I, can, yeah, I can imagine, yeah. Literally like, what the hell? Um, and I was like, you know, and I tried to frame it and, and in a way that was like, okay, like I need to explore these things. If I don't explore, I know, explore it now, like blah, blah, blah. Like I'll always, you know, be sad or <laughs> whatever. Um, but it truly just became a thing that I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it. This is what I truly, truly want to do. Um, it's something that I'm passionate about. It's something that even though I hadn't taken acting classes or anything, it's some, it's a craft that I had exercised so much in my life, mainly because I was different people in so many different places in my life. And what I found is like being these different people were something that helped me cope with my mental health. But a lot of what that is, is just acting. 
as just, you know, living moment to moment and being mindful of your surroundings and authentically reacting. It's living the life of, you know, yourself or someone else, right? And I truly just love the craft, but it was also just really important to me that like kids who grow up, people like me, look at the screen and they see people that look like them and they can dream about it and it can be something that's realistic. Um, so yeah, I think that was one of the biggest moments where I actually truly followed my dreams. And I said, like, to my parents, you know, I'm gonna do this. And they were like, okay, lots of like arguing about all these different things. And they were like, I don't know, just not like a really secure thing. Like maybe you should just get your Harvard degree first. Like you can figure that out. Like, you know, you don't want to waste your time at Harvard chasing all these things, blah, blah, blah. And like, now they've changed their mind. They're very supportive um, after a lot of conversation. Um, but they were like, okay, we, we will support you exploring. And so I did so much research. I figured out a plan. I was like, this is how I'm going to do it. And I was, you know, I was very ambitious with my goals, but even with how ambitious I was, I didn't think that I'd be here um, in terms of where I am in my journey towards like a career in TV and film. Um, but I've, you know, the, the, the entertainment industry is something that's very unknown to a lot of people. It's not an industry that's like a lot of other industries where it's just easy. Like you get a degree, get in the, you know, like, you know, go to med school, you become a doctor. It's not like that at all. You can be standing, I can be sitting here and someone can see me from the window across who's producing a movie and be like, you're the person I want for this role. It could happen like that, or it could happen after I audition for, for 80 years and then it becomes a thing, right? Or it could never happen. But I think the thing that acting has taught me and chasing this dream has taught me is that it's not about me actually making it in TV and film or ever getting a role. I don't care if I book a role. Like, yeah, icing on the cake. But the point is that I'm truly enjoying the journey and I am truly just doing what I love and following all like this dream that I've always had. And I think that following the dream is a lot more exciting than achieving it, which goes kind of takes us full circle to that conversation oh that we had earlier, right? Which is like actually doing the thing that you dreamt of is not exciting than actually getting to the thing that you dream, you know, like actually taking the journey to get there, right? Um, yeah, I guess, yeah, that was one of the moments that I truly followed my heart. Oh my God. <laughs> I wouldn't say moments, cause it's a moment that's still happening. And the moment yes. that I'm saying right now, so I hold myself accountable and I continue to do it. That is beautiful. I mean, that's that's a beautiful answer. And in many ways, this is like this touches upon so many things that we've talked about. Um, because you are living your question. You're living your question of acting and and being able to accept, you know, like you said, whether or not whether or not you get a booking or not, it's the fact that you're living it. And it's not the seeking of it, it's the living of it. So um, I mean, that's the other thing, right? Uncertainty, right? You, like you said, pre-med. Pre-med has a very, very straightforward path. You mm -hmm. know, so so straightforward in that it's one of the primary, one of the primary motivators. Well, I saw it as particularly interesting, which is like, you know, you go to med school and you're pretty much set after that, right? It's a very straightforward pathway. Your steps ahead are very lined up. Um, I may be oversimplifying some of the pathways, which I always do anyways, but, um, and yeah, for acting, I agree. Like I heard the story of Jennifer Lawrence being discovered in a crowd. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like Jennifer, like those someone make actors pissed off a lot of the time because <laughs> we work so hard. We're like, work so hard, <laughs> but you know, that's how right. life happens. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But I love that. I mean, in, in our previous conversations, the idea has come up a lot where like, you know, why need to plan so far ahead in the future when really the best moments are happening right now, you know, and mm -hmm. they will continue to happen right now in the future, if that makes sense. Yeah. But um, yeah. Yeah. I love that. And you're still following your heart, which is the most important thing. Yeah. Right? And see, that goes back to something that I said earlier, which is just me being unapologetic, like unapologetic about my dreams and visions for the world. And I think that's like, if I were to like go back and tell like, my younger self anything that's probably would be the thing just be so unapologetic about everything because if you are those that is literally what holds you accountable me putting it out there that I wanted it to act to my parents and them being like uh what like <laughs> 
it made me have to do it. Like I had to prove them wrong. Although like that wasn't my motivation. It was something that got me going to what my actual thing that I wanted to do is. And I kept doing it and I kept doing it as, and I, you know, after like a year of acting, I'm signed with a top agent at, you know, in New York and LA, which is something that like, honestly doesn't really happen very often, (laughs) especially people that look like me. Um, And so I think truly like just putting things out there. And the reason that I said this right now is because acting is a very scary thing. It's not something when I say acting, I don't mean like the craft itself. The craft is very scary, but (laughs) I mean like the, the getting that the actual like entertainment industry is so, so uncertain, so uncertain. Right. And again, I can connect this with all the topics that we talked about before, but it's just really, you're just not guaranteed anything. I could, I could win an Oscar and then I could be broke the next week. (laughs) That's literally how the industry works. And so I'm saying these things to hold myself accountable about what my actual dream is and like what I actually want to do. And if I put it out in the world, then people will listen to that. And if I'm not doing that, they'll be like, hmm something's a little off here and so yeah maybe it's my ego I don't know but as much as I like to say I don't care what people think sometimes these things help caring about what people think well I mean I'm sure and as I can conclude wholeheartedly and as I'm sure our audience can as well from just this conversation that that you have you have it set in terms of your mindset right I just I mean your approach is is in many respects beautiful in the sense that, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, how you've been able to identify what's extrinsically right pushing you and, and how to separate yourself from that. That's for me the, the tough part as well, separating mm-hmm. myself from ex- extrinsic pressures to do something, right? I mean, in a perfect world, I can say that what I do is truly up to me, but as I'm sure you know, as I'm sure you've experienced as well, that that that's almost never the case, you know. And yeah. maybe it's bad, maybe it isn't, but I think regardless, we reached a point here where and by the way, oh my god, is one one seventeen AM in the morning. I love this by the way. Thank you so much for, for putting Yeah, putting I wish up this with... could go on like three more hours. I'm enjoying this. I know, me too. So I mean I, I really like this format of three questions. I hope you did as well. Um I did. You know, it, it felt really it felt really natural. And I, I, I do appreciate, like you said, and this was a great example and a great, you know, display of it, like you said, giving space, taking space and 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 knowing when and where to uh to step forward and back. So again, Ina, I I don't know how many more times I can say it, but yes, thank you so much. Thank you, David. I, I feel like this podcast made me realize that most of our conversations are like this podcast. <laughs> that's that's what I told you. I mean, I was the, the reason why at the very beginning I was like this podcast was a long was had it coming for a long long time is because our conversations have literally been blueprints for what has been <laughs> what has been mentioned for the past hour. So yeah. um so yeah, I can't ask for any more than that. So I I do appreciate um this talk and all the talks that we've already had and I'm sure all the talks that we'll have in the future. And with that, I suppose with heavy heart, as I always do, um, would suggest that would would propose that we end this episode here. Thanks to our audience, I guess, listening in to our into our into our moment of vulnerability, as every episode will be like. But again, thank you, Ina, um, and yeah, I'll see you in class. <laughs> in yeah, thank you, David. <laughs> thank Definitely. you for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of Humans of Harvard College podcast. I'm your host, David Chen. This podcast was produced by Mira Becker and Chelsea Guo. Graphic designed by Mei Yi Yan. Special thanks to Ina for being a great guest in the Humans of Harvard College organization. Go follow them on Instagram, at Harvard Humans. We'll see you guys next time.